the Bible. It's the Word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword. This sacred book is living and active and contains all that's needed for life and godliness. Stay with American Family Radio for the next hour as we study God's Word and take your Bible questions. Welcome to Exploring the Word. In our study of the book of Acts, we're about to end Paul's second missionary journey, and it does not take long for him to say, well, I've had enough of this. I need to go again. And this is Bert Harper along with Alex McFarland, and we are studying the book of Acts. Matter of fact, we're in chapter 18. Verse 18 is where we will start today. And Alex, uh, Paul's in Corinth. He's made all these stops along the way. But now he is ready to head back to Jerusalem. He has made a vow, and he is determined to keep that vow. And, of course, while he's there, he will go up to Antioch, and there he'll report all the things he's done. But it doesn't take long for him to say he spent some time there, and then he departed. So Mm -hmm. I I would classify Paul a missionary, a church planter. Uh, discipler. He listen. He did not let uh, moss grow under his feet, did he? Well, he really didn't. Even in you're going to see in verse twenty when they begged him to please stay. And uh, I I just love the way this is worded. Let me read a little bit of this. And folks, if you're at a position where you can get the Bible and turn to Acts chapter eighteen and follow along with us, uh, we'd love for you to do that. It says and after Paul. And Paul, after this, tarried there yet a good while, and then took his leave of the brethren, sailed thence into Syria, and with him Priscilla and Aquila, having shorn his head in Serencria, for he had a vow. So he, you know, visibly, you know, he had cut his hair and made a vow. He came to Ephesus, left them there, but he himself entered into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. And let me just say, uh, Paul had a great work ethic, but he had a lot of courage too, didn't he, Bert? I mean, um, uh, uprisings and beatings and uh, incarcerations did not deter him. Alex, have you ever heard—let me interrupt just a minute. Have you ever heard this? If Paul were to send his resume to a church— uh, I mm-hmm. doubt if he'd get hired. Let me see. He's been in this jail. He's caused this much trouble. Uh, listen, he he was he he made the truth of Jesus Christ known, no matter when, where, or how. But I I just wanted to say that yes, he he seemed like uh, wherever he went, there would be some issues. Some would believe, some would not, and that's the way it was. Yeah. And he had a lot. Uh, you're, you're right. His resume would have been somewhat checkered, but not for anything bad, but because of his obedience. Yep. So he's at Ephesus. When they desired him to tarry longer, he consented not. And they're saying, please don't go. But he bade them farewell, saying, I must by all means keep this feast that cometh in Jerusalem, but I will return again unto you if God will. And he sailed from Ephesus. Now, um, we get this saying, and it is repeated a million times a day, I'm sure, if if God wills. Yeah. Isn't that something? He was proactive, he made plans, but he was very mindful of the fact, and this is all of us, that our plans and our, our future is subject to the sovereignty of God. And so he goes to Caesarea, and he saluted the church, he went down to Antioch, and after he had spent some time there, he departed and went over all the country of Galatia, Phrygia, in order strengthening the disciples. 
notice he in verse 19 he's reasoning with the unbelievers and he's strengthening the disciples verse 23 he's evangelist theologian pastor apologist you know there was author uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's starting. You know, to, old, he's already starting to write some of these books back to. He's getting ready to start writing some of the books back to the Church of Corinth and Thessalonica. Alex, this is pretty neat. Well, you know, there's uh, been a number of books and plays um, along that um, theme of a man for all seasons, right? Uh, and this is a, a classic piece of literature. But if there ever were a man for all seasons who could wear every hat and do it well, it was the Apostle Paul. Would you agree? I would agree. Now, let's look at this. Verse 22 ends second missionary journey. Mm-hmm. Verse 23 starts third missionary journey. The only thing yeah. it says concerning his time away was after he spent some time there. And I wonder uh, how long that some time was. I wondered that. I, I tried to look at some things to find out, and uh, nobody knows. I mean, nobody it was knows. probably months. I don't think it was years uh, because there's only two times we find him using years, year and a half in Corinth, and then he'll go mm-hmm. back to Ephesus and spend years there. But everywhere else, it seemed like it was months, and so I believe that. But notice where he is in verse 23, it's still going back to still those churches that he planted on the first missionary journey. In Galatia and Phrygia, that's up there. He goes through, and notice Luke does not tell us a lot about that, except what you said, strengthening the disciples. He considered Mm -hmm. that important. He didn't leave them stranded. He wanted them to grow in the Lord, grow and nurture in the Lord, and that was his desire. Well, Alex, as as this is, I love this. I've done this several times. I watch those old, old, old movies. you know, mostly westerns. I have to admit, they were they called them B movies. You know, back then. Oh yeah. And it, they would always say, "Meanwhile, back at the ranch." Now, verse twenty four through twenty eight. All of a sudden, Luke leaves the apostle Paul and what he was doing, and concentrates on Apollos and Aquila and Priscilla. And I love this because what Luke is doing, he Apollos <clears throat> will be an individual that will help Paul. Aquila and Priscilla were a a couple, a husband and wife, that had helped him in the past, and Luke brings those together. And uh, so verses 24 and 28 tells us this encounter that Apollos had with Aquila and Priscilla, and it was really helpful for Apollos, wasn't it? Well, exactly. Uh, Apollos is a New Testament figure I've always wanted to know more about. But my goodness, what a compliment in verse 24. An eloquent man and mighty in the Scriptures. Uh, Wouldn't that be a great (laughs) thing to to have said of of any of us? Any of us. Amen, brother. And Um, and so this is what he did. He was born in Alexandria. He was a Jew. But again, we're looking at more and more of the Christian movement getting away from Jerusalem. You catch what I'm saying, Alex? Right. I mean, right. you know, in the beginning, it was all surrounded around Jerusalem. The 12 apostles are uh, the 11, and then Matthias that was added. And then Paul comes on in, and now Paulus Aquila, and they get further and further away from the concentration 
there in Jerusalem, and you're having church leaders that were born outside of that carrying the weight and, and doing the work of the Holy Spirit in planting the church, Alex. Amen. Well, it says that this man, Apollos, was instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in the Spirit, he spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, whom, when Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him uh, and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. Uh, Bert, this is a beautiful thing to be teachable, isn't it? Now, he was fervent. In other words, he was, he was passionate for God, passionate for truth, willing to share it, uh, but he was also willing to grow and learn. He, he taught what he knew, but through Aquila and Priscilla, he was going to learn even more. I've, I've often thought about verse 26, that they expounded unto him the way of God more completely, more fully, and that's something, you know, Amen. Bert, I've been saved 30 years, and I, I want to learn the way of the gospel more perfectly, don't you? Amen, brother. And it, it has been experienced. And the best way to learn is get in there and be a mentor for people because when, they, when you are, they ask you questions. And those questions make us dig in not only what we know, but what we haven't got quietened down yet. And also the questions makes us look at it more thoroughly. I love the way the New King James says, verse 26, it says, they took him aside. In other words, not in front of everyone, right. uh, but took him aside, not reprimanding him, say, oh, in front of everyone, you don't, you don't know half of it. You hadn't heard anything mm. yet. Let me tell right. you about the rest of it. No, they graciously took him aside, and then it, and the word was, uh, and and explain to him the way of God, and I love the way that you and it's exactly right with the Greek. More accurately, it right, wasn't yeah. that he was way off. He just uh, he didn't have the whole story, and they were filling in the blanks. Alex, yeah, Amen. Well said. Because you know, let's remember that they didn't have the Bible completely yet, and you know, every now and then, Bert, I've been asked the question. They'll say, you know, well. Um, why did it take so long for the gospel to spread around the world? Well, goodness, this is only a few short years since Jesus has risen from the dead. Uh, there were hostilities all around. There wasn't radio and mass production. There wasn't even the printing press yet. And i got to tell you, I've, when I read my church history, I'm amazed how quickly the, the true gospel did spread, aren't you? I really? am, Alex. That <clears throat> When you said that, that was mine. I said, man, that's not my question. My question is how how quickly it did. And let me exactly. tell you, in the fullness of time, Jesus came. I don't know everything that means. Galatians I know 4, part 4. of it. But part of it was the Roman Empire. Uh, all yeah. roads lead to Rome. And God would call out the Apostle Paul and Silas, probably both of these men were Roman citizens, and they had come to Christ. And now the whole Roman Empire is opened up to them with the protection of them being a Roman citizen. So the right. Lord knew what time and who to have. Isn't that yes. great timing? God usually does that just right, the right time Amen. with the right person. Well, there, there have been three verses, 24, 25, 26, that sort of the camera lens goes over to Apollos, Priscilla, and Aquila. Now, in 27, 28, the, the scenery goes back to Paul. 
when Paul was disposed to pass into Acacia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him. I'm going to come back to that. Who, when he was come, helped them much which had believed through grace. Now talk about Galatians, the gospel of God's grace. Paul went to Galatia. But anyway, um, Paul mightily convinced the Jews, and that publicly showing by the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. Now, verse 27, it's almost like uh, lest there be any lingering uh, warning about Saul, you know, they wrote and said, hey, look, when Paul comes to your town, receive him. He's okay. Well, you're listening. Yeah, you're listening to Exploring the Word, and we're going to continue here in the book of Acts. We're getting into chapter 19, and it is a great chapter. You don't want to miss it. We're going to see what God does in Ephesus. Continue listening to Exploring the Word on the American Family Radio Network. Ain't nobody love me like Jesus. Praise the Lord. He is the friend who sticks closer than a brother. There is no love like the love of Jesus. And that love can be yours today. Uh, He's as close by as a prayer. Well, welcome back to Exploring the Word. We are in Acts chapter 19 now. And I do want to give the number. It's 888-589-8840. 888-589-8840, and we'll get to your Bible questions here in a few moments. But Acts 19 says, And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus, finding certain disciples. And he said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. Uh, so... This um, endeavor to teach the way of God more fully or more accurately, um, this is what Paul's doing here, and he's going to tell them about part of the gospel that when you become a believer, you get indwelt with the Holy Spirit. It's a beautiful thing, isn't it, Burke? It really is, and we find out the third time it's about to happen in the book of Acts that that the Spirit of God comes on a people with great signs and wonders, I would say, and with tongues, uh, languages, and this has happened. It happened at Pentecost. It happened with the Samaritans, and now it's happening in Ephesus as we see God just anointing this work. And you're looking at chapter 19. We've heard of a few miracles here and there along the way, but all of a sudden in chapter 19, and and I am just, uh, uh, you know, looking ahead, but it says some unusual miracles in verse 11 by the hands of Paul. We haven't heard that all the time about Paul. It happens, but these are miraculous. So we're coming with a spirit. It's showing the power of the Holy Spirit in the lives of these believers and the difference it's making, Alex. And then he, verse going back to verse 3, he said, Paul said, into what then were you baptized? So they said, into John's baptism. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, then they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, 
And when Paul laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Alex, the power of the Holy Spirit in the life of believers. And here we find the power coming up on them with signs. And and so here it is. Um, what had happened earlier is happening to them. And so the power of the Holy Spirit in these believers' lives, and guess what? They'll raise up a church at Ephesus that becomes one of the most influential churches that the world has ever known. It's similar to the church at Antioch. The church at Ephesus became that very center of, of important mission work where they would go out from there and share the good news of Christ. Well, amen. And, you know, again, you know, in verse 8, he says, uh, it says, he went into the synagogue and spoke boldly for the space of three months, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. Now, the word there is the same word that we've read in so many verses prior, reasoning. You know, we often talk about the fact, present, explain, defend. Acts 9, we read of this. Acts 17, uh, reasoning and and trying to help people understand. But verse 9 says that there were different people that were hardened and believed not, but spoke evil of that way before the multitude. Now, that way, quote-unquote, that's the gospel. That's believing in Jesus and being a follower of Christ. In other words, it's the message that we proclaim to this day, that the Son of God died on the cross, our faith in Jesus uh, results in salvation, and that we're to be followers of Christ the, the rest of our lives. And so people, they can't refute it because Jesus rose, the tomb is empty, lives are changed, souls are saved, but they speak evil and spread falsehoods. So uh, he departed from them and separated the disciples, disputing daily in the school of one Tyrannus or Tyrannus. And this continued for two years, so that all they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. Praise God. Bert, not all believed, but at least all heard. They did. And this is what I was referring to earlier. Notice verse 10. It is a powerful verse. It shows you part of what I call, and I I think I've brought it up just about every day, Paul's missionary strategy, go to a strategic place, usually a city, and from there you launch out in mission work, planting churches, starting Bible studies, and that's exactly, notice, they stayed there two years so that all who dwelt in Asia heard. Now, if you look at Asia and see where Ephesus was, it's right there on the coast, but they went inland and they would go. This is probably where the church at Colossae was founded. It was probably from here in Ephesus, one of the guys that was there, heard the good news of Christ. He had a burden for his home, and he goes back to Colossae and starts and plants a church, and it's both Jews and Greeks. And so here it is, Alex, again, the the value of church planting. Churches are going to, if they're living, they're going to be born, they're going to live, and they're probably going to fade away or die so how important are church plants? New ones, Alex. How important oh, is very that? Very important. Very important. You know, there's a thing called replacement rate. Sociologists talk about replacement rate. I mean, if, if you want the population to maintain or grow, you have to have a lot of babies. 
And in the church, we've always got to be looking for that next generation and serving and, and winning. And yeah, I, I love the maintenance of existing churches, but we, we need to be missional and church planting. Otherwise, Bert, have you ever heard the saying that, um, and, and I really think this is original with uh, Josh McDowell from probably about 50 years ago, but he said in any generation, we, we might just be one generation away from paganism. Right. Meaning, if we don't pass it on and grow it and achieve replacement rate and more, uh, the gospel could die. And that's why I would urge everybody, pray for America. You know, heaven forbid that our nation, where for two centuries Christianity shone so brightly, heaven forbid that our country uh, drift as Chuck Colson would say, drift into the twilight of a great of a once great civilization. We need to be planting and evangelizing. Uh, verse eleven, I love it. God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul. Isn't that something? <laughs> Amen. So that from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs of aprons, and the diseases departed from them, and the evil spirits spirits went out of them. Uh, hey. It's like anything he touched had the power of God upon it. That's the implication of verse 12, isn't it? It really is. And again, it seems like this is the timing. Uh, Luke doesn't report this happening at every church, Alex. And that is the problem that you can come in comparing what God did here and what God is doing there. God does his work uh, in, in a special way, in the special place, in the way that it needs to be done. Now, here's the old, it's always the power of the Word of God being proclaimed as he's doing, the work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of the believers, which he's doing. And then here is what accompanies it. And I still think it happens today when we, it, it seems like, now you may disagree, if you look at the Old Testament and even in the New Testament, it seems like the miraculous and uh, the miracles happen in bunches. Uh, every one of the prophets doesn't tell us about their ability to, to do the things the way Elijah and Elisha did or the way Moses did, you know. And here, the Apostle Paul, it doesn't report him doing this everywhere Matter of fact, there'd be some people that would come to him that was sick, and uh, it showed no strength in Paul for them him to touch him and to be healed. But here it is. It's happening here at Ephesus, isn't it? Well, it sure is. Uh, now, verse 13, there, there's just so much here that is just fascinating, isn't it? It says, certain of the vagabond Jews, exorcists, <laughs> took upon them to call over them which had evil spirits, the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, we adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. Okay, let me say this. It's one thing to know about God. It's another thing to personally know God and have God in your life. Now, the word vagabond means itinerant, uh, and uh, it's the part of the prefix of that word is Peri, P-E-R-I, uh, meaning people that moved around. They traveled around, and Bert, uh, they they had a business going on, but it wasn't the ministry. It really wasn't. So there were uh, seven sons of one named Shiva or Skiva. 
And Bert, I'm sure you've heard sermons. Maybe you've preached sermons <laughs> on the seven sons of Sheba. That's right. I love verse, verse, get ready, verse 15, Alex. Let's oh, have a amazing. drum roll. Let's have a drum roll on this one. This is some powerful stuff, isn't it? Listen to it. Uh, yeah, and I, the, the Bible, by the way, it has God's words, some of man's words. Well, here's a word from an evil, a demon. The evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? <laughs> um, you know, they're going to find out that the spiritual things are not to be trifled with, aren't they? They really are, and, and that happened? is powerful. Jesus I know. Notice it comes in order to Jesus, Paul, but who are you? And uh, to trifle with the things of God with unholy hands. You remember in the church at Corinth, there were people there that were taking the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. And Paul said, and because of that, some of you sleep or you, they've died. And so, listen, this is serious business. Uh, yeah. You do uh, this. I, I, I enjoy not having to wear a tie every Sunday morning. I have to admit that. I've got a large neck, and it always choked me. I did it. So I enjoy some of what we're doing. But if you make, and I want everybody to hear me carefully, if you make worship casual, now worship should never be casual. Worship should be purposeful, filled with wonder in all that we're going with God. Now, you can dress casual. That's different than being casual, Alex, in here we find out you don't, don't. I, I I don't know how else to say this, but you better better be careful when you're trying to to imitate God on what you've seen others do. You better realize that it is a personal relationship with Him, and from that you observe and you see and become all that God wants you to become. I this I think this really states the power of that, Alex. Well, I don't mean to be uh, trite or something, but, um, you know, it's, it's very often pronounced Shiva. In the Greek, it's pronounced uh, skewer, and these guys are about to get skewered. Uh, <laughs> you know, really. Yeah. So, so you've got these traveling uh, self-appointed exorcists, and it says in verse 13 that they, they called people who had evil spirits. In other words, they advertised, hey, we've, we know how to deliver you for a price, right? And these seven sons are like paid exorcists, you might say. The Spirit says, hey, I know Paul and Jesus, who are you? Now, verse 16, the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them and overcame them and prevailed against them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. Okay, these guys are getting beat up by a demon-possessed man because they found out, all right, the Bible talks about a form of godliness, but without any power. Bert, these guys are dabbling in religion, but they don't know Jesus, do they? They do. Notice what they words in verse 13. We adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul whom, preaches. You know? I, I mean, they, they reveal right there that they didn't really know this Exactly. God, God does not have grandchildren. It's a direct mm. relationship with him. Uh, it, it is not just osmosis where you being around him, you're going to get it. No, you've got to come to Jesus on your own. They did not, and now they were suffering the consequences. Verse 17, this became known both of all the Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus. And what happened, Alex? Fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. 
They they got this. They said, man, we can't mess with this. As you said earlier, we can't trifle with this. Uh, We've got to be purposeful. And many who believe came confessing and telling their deeds. Uh, This is what God is doing. They had a great testimony service, didn't they? They did, and I love verse 19. Many of them also, which used curious arts, brought their books together and burned them before all men, and they counted the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. See, these people, the curious arts, literally the the black arts, magic, occult, fortune-telling, divination— I think it spread out through that region. Hey, look, we don't we don't want any more part of this. You know, uh, we're not going to even have this in our home. And let me just encourage you, folks. All right, if you've come to Jesus and you maybe there was a time when you read the horoscope or you look get all that stuff out of your house and renounce it in Jesus' name. And uh, I don't know, Bert. I just feel led to say this. I've talked to a lot of people and. Look, you don't have to be paranoid, and you don't have to be fearful, but if you ever did dabble in magic or anything that was occultish, just put it behind you, get it out of your midst, and then in Jesus' name, be cleansed and move forward. Bert, you don't want any residue of that in your life. You don't. You need to be completely delivered. You don't go back to the familiar just because, no, you have that break and you come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord. That's what he does. There's this break, and this is what happens. And they burn those books. Uh, listen, it, it, close to a half a million dollars today in today's economy, exactly. Alex. So it was phenomenal. Alex, you want to take phone calls? Folks, the number is 888-589-8840. And when we come back, we'll pick up the phone. So give us a call with your Bible question on today's edition of Exploring the Word. We'd love to hear from you. You know, I was just thinking about John 8, 36, uh, these people being delivered from dark magic arts and the occult. John 8, 36 says, if the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. And friend, if you've got Jesus, you are set free. Well, the number is 888 Bert, how about we get right to it and let's uh, pick up the phone. You ready? We are. Now, let me tell you, Alex, be ready to answer. If I can't add anything, you go first because we got nearly a full board, so we're going to get to them as many as we can. So All first right. is Brad in Virginia. Go ahead, Brad. Hi, it's great to be with you. I am in Matthew chapter 12. We're talking about the desire for signs here. And we know that Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a sea monster. And it says, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now, it goes on to say, the men of Nineveh will stand up with this generation at the judgment and will condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. Behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Now, here's my question. Verse 42. The queen of the south will rise up with this generation. What is it referring to when it says the queen of the south? Okay, go ahead, Alex. Bert, don't you think that was when um, really the queen of Sheba came to hear Solomon? 
because Solomon built cities, he built fountains, he wrote proverbs. Solomon was really a legend in his own time, and I believe he gave God the, the credit for it. And when the Queen of Sheba came to uh, have an audience with Solomon, uh, and she was famous and wealthy, but Jesus was saying, look, um, here was a pagan lady who went to see the man of God, Solomon, and yet a greater one than Solomon is here. Is that what that's That's exactly the whole verse. It came there, and it says, uh, to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Who did that? The Queen of Sheba. And uh, But here it is, and he, this is the line you want to get, verse 42. And indeed, a greater than Solomon is here. Uh, we yeah. don't have to wait. Jesus is he. And uh, we follow him. Hey, Brad, it, it, we really do believe that. Something else, Alex, you want to say? It, well, and, and the greater point is, here was somebody with a minimal amount of light, and yet they followed it. And yet the people that saw Jesus had a maximum amount of light, and they rejected Jesus. And he says, look, there's going to be even a greater judgment than was, was on yeah. the Ninevites or the pagan world of the Old Testament. Well, that's similar what he said in the New Testament concerning, you know, Capernaum, that uh, look what they saw. And so it is. Okay. Thank you, Brad. Keep listening, brother. Let's go to Illinois and talk to William. Thank you, William, for calling today. Be sure and turn your radio off, William. Are you there, William? Okay. We're going to have to cut it off, and uh, we'll see what we can do, and we'll go to Richard in Mississippi. No, yeah, Richard, are you huh? there? Yes, sir, I am. Go ahead, brother. I just I just wanted to glorify God. Uh today I woke up and I had just a spiritual battle all just all morning at work and I just started telling everybody about Jesus, just telling them, just keeping my mind on him and that relationship you're talking about. I grew up to where I did not know how to love and he every day is teaching me how to love. I have a little boy and one on the way, and he's he's just so good to us. And it's so easy to just fall in love with him. And everybody should just love him. And that's, he's just too good for us. And I just I just wanted to share that with y'all and everyone listening. Amen. He's the Praise way, God. the truth, and the life. To Amen. God be the glory. That's exactly what they were doing over here in Acts nineteen. Uh, when they gathered together and they said, look all that God has done and all the deeds he's done. And uh, I, sometimes I think we miss it, Alex, uh, by not having testimonies like we should in church sometimes, you know. I know oh, the preaching I, yeah. of the word, but testimonies go a long way. Amen. Uh, brother, thank you for giving God the glory. And, you know, we've all got a lot to be thankful for these days. And let me just say, as you reflect and count your blessings uh, that'll chase the blues away, won't it, Bert? It Does, really will. Amen. We all have so much uh, for which to praise God. Yeah. Uh, William from Illinois, I, I cut you off. I think I did it by mistake. So if you're listening and can call back, uh, we'll try to get your own. But until then, let's go to Louisiana and talk to John. Welcome, John. Yes. Um, I'm thinking about what is the purpose or importance of, of the speaking in tongues in Acts 19, because in Peter's ministry in Acts 10, it was happened. But in Paul's ministry in this first and second missionary journey, we do not see that happen. So what do you think is a purpose 
importance or reason for that speaking in tongues. Thank you, John. In my opinion, that's a great question, and I, I have an opinion about it, Alex. It, this was a missional point notice mm-hmm. in every place, the Pentecost, the Samaritans going launching out. I know he'd been in Europe before, and Ephesus is right there on the edge in Asia looking, but it was the center place, and it was going to be the power of God demonstrated so that they would launch out from there and do great works. I think that's what it talks about in Mark. Uh, when we talk about Mark 16 and all the great exploits that happened, I think that's evidence of it here. I think it was missional. Yeah. That's my opinion. Go ahead, Alex. And, you know, it's interesting in Acts 19.7, it says, and all the men were about 12. This is almost like a second Pentecost, isn't it? It really is. And again, notice every time it happens, it's missional. Pentecost yes. was missional. The power mm-hmm. of God, it's right out Acts 1.8, uh, Samar- coming to Samaritans and even the Samaritans, they thought it was just Jewish. No. And here, this is missional. And when you read, everybody won't say, well, man, I'm not sure Mark is, you know, uh, taking up those snakes and drinking poison. That's missional. Don't be fearful in launching out where God has gone sent you. You remember Jesus said to the fishermen, launch out into the deep. That's where the fish are. And, Alex, I, I believe that really has to do with, with what it is in Ephesus. Amen. I, I would completely agree. By the way, folks, if you've got a Bible question, the number is 888-589-8840. Bert, where should we go next? Let's go to Michigan and talk to Ed. Welcome, Ed. Hello. Thank you for yeah. calling. Uh, my question it comes from uh, 2 Corinthians 5, where it says to be absent from the bodies, but present with the Lord, and we would assume that's the spirit separating from the body. Uh, when someone is brain dead in the hospital but being kept alive on machines and they're hoping to harvest the organs, is that person still have the spirit? I, Alex, we've we talked about that before. There's this this time in Ed that is, I would say it's beyond medical and beyond us as we can call us theologians or what would know. But God knows when to take that spirit exactly because yeah. that's, that's, that's what he's waiting on. The angel is escorting us in. They're waiting at that right moment to take that spirit into the very presence of God. Alex, uh, I, I, I don't think you can give a completely definite answer to that. Do you, or can, do you think you can? Uh, I, I don't think we can definitively know. And, you know, one of the... Uh, challenges of our time is that there is enough medical technology to keep the body physically operating even when there's, you know, they call it uh, flatline or no brain activity. And, and that's what's defined as clinically dead when there is no brain activity. And yet machines can artificially, uh, you know, respirators and, uh, you know, uh, dialysis machines can keep the body technically alive, but we just don't know. And, Bert, that's why, uh, you know, these advanced directives, they're called. Um, I think this is an important thing to prayerfully talk about uh, with your doctor and your your minister and pray about, because, Bert, um, without diverting here, I've had so many families that are in these agonizing positions, they just don't know 
what to do. But ultimately, when the the soul or the spirit leaves the body to be with the Lord, I think it's something that really only God can know. I, I fully agree. And, uh, hey, pastoring as long as 40 years, I've been there by the family and them trying to decide those medical directives. I want to tell you, uh, don't put it on your family to have to decide yes. that if you already know and can be sure. Uh, let it fill it out, make it known, and uh, it will really help everyone. Let's go to Illinois. William, I'm, thought, I'm sorry I cut you off a moment ago, but thank you for calling back. William, are you there? Uh, yes, I'm here. Okay, thank make you. sure okay. you turn your radio off, William. I got it off. Okay, go ahead, man. Uh, when it talks about uh, the Father telling to Jesus, sit down on my right hand while I make your enemies your footstool. Uh, I've never heard anything about uh, that subject before where the Father, he's going into action to make him the, his footstool. Uh, I know I've heard of the wrath of the Lamb. I'll have your comment on that. Thank you, boys. Okay. Thank you, William. Thank you for your patience, too. Alex, go ahead. Yeah, that's Psalm 110, verse 1. And it it really literally means till your enemies are put under your feet, you know. And yeah. this, um, uh, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. That's how it's rendered in uh, some English translations. But I th- what this is talking about, I believe, is that the Father says to the Son, uh, and Jesus is fully deity, God the Son, that the day will come and you'll be at my right hand so the Son and the Father are co-equal, but ultimately a fallen world will be vanquished and subdued to the power of the risen, Amen. victorious Christ. That's it. And until then, my heart's going to keep on singing, Alex. You know, Amen. and that's what it is. Jesus is his timing. He came in the fullness of time the first time. Guess what he's going to do? He's going to come, come at the back. right time as yes. well. It's his timing, and we are to be ready. I, I tell folks, and I know I've said it before, and it was not original, we're not on the planning committee. We're on the welcoming committee, and, Amen. and we need to be ready. Let's go to Oklahoma and talk to Christine. Welcome, Christine. Are you talking to me? Yes, yeah. Christine. Welcome. Thank you for calling. Uh, okay. All right. So, hey, um, uh, hi. Thanks so much, you guys. Um, I have a question about uh, what Alex was saying before that last commercial break about um, cleansing your home if you used to dabble in witchcraft or or horoscopes or anything like that. And um, I never did witchcraft, but when I was strung out on meth, um, I got rid of all of the tarot cards and um, I got rid of all of the crystals. Uh, but I've always wondered... Is that does that also include the Himalayan salt lamps? Himalayan salt uh, lamps, Alex. Uh, this is a great question because I, I've seen these lamps, and some of them are really pretty. Uh, so you got imagine you got this big old chunk of salt, and in like holistic New Age thought, it's believed that salt lets out these ions that are good for health. And a lot of the like New Age practitioners will say that, um, well, that they think electric appliances put out like 
unhealthy radiation, which may or may not be true, I don't know. But also they talk about chakras and these meridians of power. Without going into a lot of details, I'm going to say that as a Christian, I reject their technical promises about the ions of salt lamps, and I certainly reject the idea that salt is going to protect me from, you know, bad mojo. Uh, there is no such thing. That's right. So here's the thing. Should a Christian own a Himalayan salt lamp? If you're buying it for a lamp that's a decorative thing to, you know, be a, a lamp on the end of the table, I don't see a problem with that. But if if you bought it for some sort of New Agey benefit, pray and uh, renounce that. Because, Bert, um, we don't need any uh, mythical ions to make us healthy or cleansed. We just need the blood of Jesus and the indwelling Holy Spirit. Would you Amen. Agree? You are exactly right. Christine, we hope that helps. When you have a question like that, the best thing, I, I believe in being careful. Hey, get get it out if it causes you any issue that it causes you, it'd be best so you'd trust the Lord. Let's go to North yeah. Carolina. John, go ahead. Hey, Bert, Alex. Hey, I'm a second-time caller. I got to talk to y'all one other time, and I was so nervous I didn't get to tell you thank you for your show. Well, I thank really you. Well, bless you. Thank you for calling, brother. Yeah, I really like it. I bought a couple of your CDs, too, the uh, Savior, King, and Lamb about revelation i'm listening to that right now it's really good amen god bless you god bless um, you well god bless you too um so i had a a question about baptism i'm a lutheran and i was baptized when i was a baby and i grew up mostly in the lutheran church and i've been to baptist churches visiting a few times and i've seen other people baptized with their adults and my main question is, Is should I get baptized again now okay. that I've affirmed my faith as an adult, or okay, does my John. baptism count from being the small? John, do we don't have a lot of time. Alex, i just say, John, you need to be baptized. Alex, take it away. <laughs> yeah, we often use the term believer's baptism, and, you know, being sprinkled or even baptized as an infant, uh, you might have heard the word uh, christening, which is a Latin word that means Christianizing. Well, a baby can't choose to trust Jesus. An adult can. And baptism publicly identifies us with Christ in the church. I think it, it would be a fine thing to do, and I would say really, yes, you ought to as a believer, because now you understand what you're doing. Amen. You're showing the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You're buried with Christ, and it shows that, and you're raised to newness of life. It is a testimony, uh, as well as following the Lord. John, thank you. Diana, uh, please give us a call tomorrow. We'd love for you, too, and uh, we'd love to get your question. Sorry we couldn't get to it today, but we would love to hear tomorrow. We're going to be in Chapter 19 and Chapter 20, so read ahead. Look what God is doing and tell someone about exploring the Word, but more importantly, tell them about Jesus. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.